Well, good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good? You can say yes, good. That works. Uh, it helps me. It helps me when I know people are here. Um, so over the last eight weeks, we've been looking specifically at what it means to become both spiritually and emotionally healthy in a sermon series we're calling Whole, which is about being a whole person, a complete person. And we've been working off of this operative principle, and that is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for us to step into an abundant life, an abundant life. But it's not instantaneous, this abundant life. It doesn't happen automatically. It is, in fact, a kind of grace-filled journey that we're all on. And it is a journey. It is a kind of path. You know, the first Christians were not called Christians. If you read the book of Acts, you will, you'll learn this. They were called people of the way. People of the way. And that word, way, hados in Greek, just means path or journey or way. It actually means that we're kind of people on a journey with Jesus, as it were. And at many points on this journey with Jesus, there is a ton of light. There's a lot of joy. There's even ease to this journey with Jesus. Being in relationship with the king of the universe will do that for you sometimes. But there are also elements of difficulty to that as well. There's struggle. There's even pain involved. When we meet with Jesus and give our lives over to him, it is an invitation, but it is not an invitation into a life of leisure or leisure if you're British. I like that, the way of saying that more, actually. And we know this because this is not actually what Jesus promised us in the scriptures. Jesus actually said this to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so if we're going to become spiritually and emotionally healthy followers of Jesus, we can't avoid the uncomfortable bits of our lives. We can't just kind of sweep them under the rug or push them aside and pretend that those things don't exist. And today we're going to tackle one of the more slightly difficult or uncomfortable aspects of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Today we're talking about grieving our losses Grieving our losses. And how grieving our losses helps us to become emotionally and spiritually healthy people. And so I know, I probably know what you're thinking. Why does Nick always give such encouraging and joyful messages? <laughs> He's always just making me feel great about myself. I leave happy. And I'm with you. When I was outlining this sermon series, I came to the point where I knew I was going to have a, have a, the, a sermon titled, Grieving Our Losses. And I thought, who can I give this message to? Who could preach this message? I also thought about changing the name of this, uh, the title of this message to Happy, Happy, Always Happy, Jesus Makes Us Happy. <laughs> which wouldn't have been accurate. But the truth is that I'm, and I'm convinced of this, I really am. A big part of why our culture, car, people in our culture struggle to be happy or are so unhappy is because people don't understand how to grieve in a biblical way. We don't understand grief or how to do it. And so when we encounter difficulty in our lives, when we experience loss, we don't know how to handle it. 
We have lost touch with the ancient wisdom of the scriptures that teach us that in order to be whole people, we must follow Jesus' example and learn to experience loss and to grieve well. But just in case uh, my introduction is causing you to wish that you'd hit the snooze button once or twice more and accidentally skip church today. I hope to show you that there is a light at the end of the tunnel of our grieving. And that is that when we go through this process, at the end of it, biblically, there is joy. There is emotional balance. And that Everything we experience on this journey of following Jesus as we pursue his way of life ends up in a kind of unbridled joy, hope, and peace. And when I say following Jesus into this idea of grieving our losses, we really mean it. Because Jesus, in our teaching text for today, models what it looks like to deal with grief. Some of your translations may say sorrow. We use the English Standard Version translation this morning because it uh, pulls out this, this idea of grief very clearly for us. But Jesus, as a, as a person in his time here on earth, experienced grief. He experienced loss. And he experienced it in a way that didn't make him less healthy but made him more healthy. We don't often think of Jesus in this way, but this is why we're, we're called to follow him. Because p- patterning our lives after his life makes us more the people that God has created us to be. And now in our teaching text for today from Isaiah 53, this is not only one of the most powerful messianic texts we have in the Old Testament, but it is also a kind of significant glimpse into the heart of God, actually. Because in this passage, we see a God who does not keep us at arm's length, who is not kind of hovering over us in heaven, uh, staring down at all of our difficulties and struggles, our grief and our loss. He's He's not out there somewhere simply paying attention to what we are doing. Rather, he is dwelling with us. He is bearing up under our grief with us. And I just want to read this passage again today because this is the heart of God for us this morning. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Have you ever felt despised or rejected? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and, he was a, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All are like sheep. We go astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, of us all. You see, we learn from this passage that Jesus bears our grief and our sorrow and our loss with us. He's with us. 
But it doesn't end there. By being with us in grief, Jesus can transform it, actually. To turn it into something that actually makes our souls more healthy. You see, in the economy of God, the way to health is not around our loss or our grief, but it is rather through it. But we don't go through it alone, do we? And so today, what I want to give us from the scriptures is a kind of roadmap that helps us walk through our grief with Jesus on this journey we call life. That will teach us how to grieve well in the midst of life's losses. Because if you've lived any more than like 15 seconds on this earth, you realize that you will experience loss. And we have to be equipped to engage that well, don't we? Otherwise, we just walk through this life kind of shattered individuals, not knowing what to do or how to do it. And luckily for us, the Bible does. It gives us a blueprint, a map, a pattern that helps us walk through it with Jesus in it with us. But before we get into that this morning, before we get into the blueprint, I'm going to take these keys out of my pocket. And then, and then I want us to define what we're talking about when we talk about grief in our lives. Because I think it's helpful for us to just take a quick step back and kind of define what are we talking about when we talk about our loss in life? What exactly are we speaking about? Now, I think the first thing that comes to most of our minds when we think about loss is losing people who we're close to. This is probably the most common idea that most of us have in our head. All of us in here have lost someone. We've all felt the sting of that. We've lost somebody to death. And that is, most certainly, probably the most intense, and but also in our day, I think the most neglected aspect of what it means to grieve our losses. Because we live in a day and age where our culture is intentionally distancing itself from death in all its forms. Have you ever seen the chicken that you eat killed? I haven't. I know, I, seriously. We've distanced our, even even the way in which we live, we've distanced ourselves from death, haven't we? As a pastor, I can tell you that people in our culture are losing the ability to understand what it means to grieve the death of a loved one. Our culture is losing this ability. This is due in large part because our because as our culture becomes more secular, one of the first things to go is the structures that the Christian faith has provided us surrounding death and dying that help us in this difficult process. You know, I grew up in a church, and part of what that meant for me was that I grew up going to funerals, which is, yeah, my, my, my childhood was a party. Um, <laughs> I didn't go, not like every day, but, you know, fairly regularly. Death was something that was a part of the regular life of my community, Right? Because it was because death is a regular part of life. I was familiar with it. In my church, I heard a theology of death, right? Within the, within the Christian framework. There were patterns and habits and structures that helped the community understand and process it together. And one of the primary symptoms in our current cultural moment of this problem is that as the facade of Christianity kind of falls away, 
people lose the ability or understanding of what it means to appropriately grieve the death of someone that is close to them. We lose this. And in a world like that, I just want to offer to you this morning that one of the most countercultural things that, that the church can do, one of the most powerful witnesses that the church can give to the reality of a resurrected Jesus in the world, is to, as a community, know how to appropriately deal with death. Because people don't want to do it. And most people don't do it well. You see, the church can take up this mantle, as it were, as a witness to the world of how we deal with death. To have a firm theology of death that says, yes, death is an enemy. It's a bad thing, right? But that it is an enemy that has already been defeated. And that though in this current moment it may look like death has won, we live a kind of buoyant hope. That just like our Lord Jesus, for those who have placed their faith in him, to quote Johnny Cash, there ain't no grave that can hold my body down. Right? When I was writing that, I, was, I, I write my messages out and I was typing it. I haven't, didn't write this part. But I looked over at Ashley and I said, there's a way of doing this that an old school preacher could do that would be way better than what I did. So, anyways. What a witness to the world. What a witness to the world that centered belief is. To learn how to grieve well is a gift that we're given by Jesus. And so for those of you in this room who have recently lost a loved one, or even if it hasn't been recent, you're, you're grie- you have a loss and you've experienced a loss in your life that you know you, has gone ungrieved, there's still time. There's still time. God wants to be in the midst of that with you to help you through the process of your grief. Not to make it instantaneously better because that is not the point but to be with you in it and to help you walk through it. That's what God has for us. But physical death, though a a central piece of what we're talking about this morning, morning when we talk about grief, is not the only aspect of what we're talking about when we talk about loss in our lives. Because we all experience loss in a myriad of ways, don't we? Loss in our individual lives actually takes many different forms. From the loss of a job to the loss of a relationship or even lost opportunities. There are all kinds of loss that we experience. There is all kinds of brokenness that we run into. I was speaking to a mentor of mine, and he routinely has really difficult conversations with people at really pivotal points in their lives. This is part of his job. And he was talking to me about how he had not allowed himself to grieve some of the more difficult conversations that he had that he was having, that he hadn't allowed himself to like for the full weight of what he those types of conversations to kind of hit him. And because he hadn't allowed himself that process, it had taken a toll on his heart, actually. Grief is a natural part of the process of living. And when we gloss over it. We lose something important. 
One form of loss that we don't often think about is the loss that nature or just healthy transitions inflict upon us. This happens, this happens a lot if you have kids or if you've, ha- if you've had kids that have grown up in your house, you know this well. When a kid first goes to kindergarten, it is a loss. If you want to do something fun next year when kindergarten starts, just stand out in the playground and watch like grown men and women just weep endlessly as their little one goes into kindergarten, right? It, don't laugh at them because that's not nice, but uh, it illustrates my point, right? I think I, sa- I said this from the stage, but there was one dad next to me when we were sending Elliot to kindergarten this year, and he was just like, <laughs> and all I could do was like go, hey, man. <laughs> Solidarity, right? There is loss in life, and we need to allow ourselves to feel, to experience that loss if we're going to be healthy, Right? It is a part of what we have to experience. And as we, as we raise kids and as we move through transitions in our lives, the end of jobs or the beginning of new jobs, uh, children going to kindergarten or learning how to drive or getting married, uh, moving from one town to another town, the loss of a change of a relationship in some significant way, uh, dif- just random difficulty that we experience in our lives. All of these things can be experienced to us as a kind of loss. There's one loss that I'm not looking forward to that came to my mind when I was thinking of this. The loss that uh, I think a father experiences when he has a little girl and then she becomes big and he walks her down an aisle one day. Like I did that to a guy. Um, It's it's intense. Uh, There is loss in all of these transitions. And to be well-rounded and emotionally healthy people, we have to allow ourselves to feel them, process them, and move through them in a way that gives our experience significance. If we just push them aside or sweep them under the rug, we actually don't do justice to the significant experiences we have in our lives. And we most certainly don't allow God the space in the midst of those things to make us who he wants us to be. And so learning to grieve, even the little things, even the, even the things that seem on the surface maybe insignificant, are very, very important. So how do we actually grieve? Like, what's the process? Nick, you said you were going to give us a roadmap. What's the roadmap this morning? How are we supposed to go about this process of doing that? The first we've, always, we've already touched on, but I just want to make it explicit. First, we have to acknowledge the presence of Jesus with us in our loss. We have to acknowledge that Jesus is with us in the midst of these experiences. Isaiah 53 shows us this, right? That, God, that there is a God who stands in solidarity with us in our experience of loss. But also, Jesus makes it quite clear, numerous other places, but probably one of the most explicit is in this, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus goes up to a mountain, he sits down, and he begins his kingdom teaching, the, the great sermon of his life. And the, at the very beginning of this, he starts with something that we call the Beatitudes, or the blessed bees. And he says things like this, blessed be the poor, blessed be those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the persecuted. And he says this not because those situations are better, right? It's not better to be poor and persecuted than it is to be rich and admired. 
I wouldn't know <laughs> what it was really like to be rich and admired, but I'm just assuming it's a slightly better situation. But God has promised us that he's going to be with us in these situations. And Jesus makes it quite clear in his kingdom teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that, this, that the economy of God is one in which God's presence is specially with us in the midst of these difficult situations. This is the type of God we serve. This is his character, in fact. And I just want to stop here because I think it is the most important aspect of what we're talking about today. If you have experienced loss in your life, and you've avoided dealing with it, or you're currently in the midst of dealing with it, you need to know. You need to know that Jesus is with you. He has not abandoned you. Though it feels difficult at times, though you feel lonely in the midst of it, though you feel like you're the only one who's experiencing the thing you're experiencing in that given moment, Jesus is with you. I'm just going to say it one more time. Jesus is with you. He has not abandoned you. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with you. He's with you. And you don't need to be afraid. You're not alone. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it is. So if you walk out of here with one thing this morning, it's that. Jesus is with you. But the Bible outlines a couple further steps. After acknowledging the presence of Jesus in the midst of our loss as we grieve, difficult times, we are also instructed to pray it, to pray our loss. We need to learn to give voice before God to our loss and to our grief, to give voice to it, to actually say it, to give honest and sometimes even raw voice to what we have or, and are experiencing. I, uh, I'm just assuming but I think all of us in our lives have somebody, or maybe we are one of these people, who like to stuff our emotions. Is anybody, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Uh, that would be bad. Anybody know a stuffer, right? Anybody a stuffer? Somebody, you, you know somebody, or you have this propensity in your own heart to just not give voice to your feelings. And instead of addressing them and giving them voice, we just kind of, think that we can effectively manage them by stuffing them down and down and down and just denying that they exist, right? This is a common way that many of us cope. What happens to these types of people? They turn into walking grenades. That's what happens to these type of people. And, they can, and we can explode, right, at just about any given moment when we stuff. And the same is true with our experience of loss in our relationship with God, specifically in that God relationship. God does not want us to stuff our stuff. He doesn't want us to just pass over it. He wants us to pray it to him. 
And this involves, in some ways, just simply voicing our struggle and our difficulty and our pain and our loss to God honestly in prayer. And the question that you can ask yourselves here is, like, do I actually give voice to my loss to God? Or do I just kind of think about it and mull over it and stew and then move past it? What, what are the mechanisms in my life for giving voice to the difficulty, to the loss I experience? Pastor Daniel spoke three weeks ago about the importance of prayer and Bible study as a regular rhythm in our lives. And part of the reason that's so important is because if it's a regular rhythm in our lives, then we have regular opportunities to give voice to what is it we are experiencing in our hearts because that, that dialogue is necessary for us to be healthy people, to not just stuff stuff and to uh, gloss over it or to bury it in the backyard or whatever analogy you want to use to talk about the ways in which we avoid addressing the raw things that we experience in this life to God. You know, this is a great use of a journal if you're the, in, the type who likes to write. I have the worst uh, written grammar of anyone you have ever met in your whole entire life. If you ever grabbed one of my journals, you, well, the good thing is you wouldn't be able to understand what I'm writing. But that, just that process helps me process, right? It helps me put down in a linear sense what I am experiencing on a daily basis. It helps me put into words what I am writing. And if you were to grab that and you were to have a master's degree in reading a dyslexic person's handwriting, you would find out that some of the things I say to God are not pretty. They're not always fun. You might grab it and go, oh, he said that? Ah, that guy stands up and talks on Sundays. Yeah. Yeah, I, some of the things that we voice to God in prayer as we experience loss are a little bit raw, but they are exactly what God wants us to do. Where else are you going to go with this stuff, right? Who else are you going to turn to? God doesn't just uh, accept it when we voice our loss. He asks us to. And actually, in the scriptures, he teaches us how to express the more raw uh, emotions in our lives to him in ways that are constructive. The Bible teaches us to pray to God in the midst of our loss and our grief through what, the, what, is, what are called psalms of lament. Who's familiar with psalms of lament? You can raise your hand. Or don't raise your hand. That's cool, too. Uh, there are I need to stop doing that. There are, uh, there are numerous psalms in uh, the prayer book of the Bible that are called psalms of lament. And they are, by and large, almost all of them are psalms of lament. Psalm 44, Psalm 85, Psalm 90. These psalms are uh, characterized as psalms of lament. Psalms specifically set aside where the, where the psalmist, very often David, is lamenting. He's angry. He's struggling. He's, he's giving voice. He's praying about this thing he has experienced. There are all these ex exact uh, psalms. But in almost every psalm, well over 50% of the psalms in the prayer book of the Bible actually have some element of lament to them. You can barely pick up the Bible and read a psalm that doesn't have some element of lament somewhere in it. And those prayers exist to help us pray in our loss and in our pain. 
That's why they exist. God has given them to us to teach us how to do this. He doesn't just want us to do this. He says, here's a book to teach you how to do it. God can handle anything you can throw at him. Okay? And I just want to show you this expressly from the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Psalm 69. It'll be up on the screen. This is how, this is how David starts Psalm 69. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with uh, waiting for God. That's the first three verses of this psalm. Like, he jumps right into it. It's pretty raw, isn't it? Laments like this are simply all over the place in the prayer book of the Bible. And, we, and when we learn to read them and pray them with the psalms, they teach us how to carry our sorrow, how to carry our loss, how to carry our anger, our pain, and grief to God. They teach us how to do this. And if you struggle, like me, I struggle with this, of giving voice to the pain that you experience, I want you to, or the pain that you have experienced, I want to encourage you, go to the Psalms, search them out, because within their pages, there is a prayer, I promise you, that will give voice to almost exactly what you are feeling. And God has given you that Psalm in order to give you words and a pattern to pray in the midst of your brokenness. This is why they exist. So we should not neglect them, should we? God has placed the Psalms in the Bible as a roadmap to help us address him, even when we can't put words to it ourselves. If you're like me, when you experience that really deep-seated loss, that thing that is, just feels like a punch in the gut, you don't always have words for that, do you? And you need God, you need his help to actually put on your lips the words that you are supposed to pray to give voice to that thing that for you is just a groan. And that's what the Psalms are. But they're more than that, even. Because within the Psalms of Lament, there is also a kind of pattern and you, you'll, you learn this when you read them consistently. But there is a pattern to the Psalms of Lament that ha- actually helps us move through our grief and through our sorrow and through our pain to something else. You can see this specifically uh, right down further in Psalm 69, in the psalm that we have uh, we've put uh, up on the screen. Um, David does this he, moves this, he moves through this pattern in just three, not even three verses, but three lines. And the pattern he moves through is from lament. So first he laments, and then, there's, then he moves into this place of submission to God, of simply submitting that thing, that thing that he's lamenting to God. And then from the place of submission, it mo- then the lament then moves into praise. And you can see this expressly further down in Psalm 69. So uh, I think we have it on the screen. So these are three, three lines. Oh, no, go back to the other one. Perfect. Uh, these are three lines right on top of one another in Psalm 69 further down. David says this, but I am an afflicted in pain, so lament, right? And then he moves to submission to God. 
let your salvation, O God, save me from on high. Like, I got nothing left, God, but I submit it to you. And third praise, I will praise the name of God with a song. He, the, 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 the Psalms of Lament don't just keep us in our grief, but rather move us through grief to submission and then to praise, whoop, and then to praise and joy. It's, it's getting good now, so we could talk about joy so you can all laugh again. This is a common pattern in the, in the Psalms. This is a, actually the most common pattern in the Psalms. There are two Psalms uh, in the Bible that are just lament all the way through and have, don't follow this pattern. And it, it shows us that there are some dark nights that just feel like dark nights for a little while, right? But most of the Psalms of lament in the Psalms have this pattern. So much so that the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, he's from Nebraska, not Germany, says of the Psalms, in the Psalms, the appropriate end of lament is full and unfettered praise. That to move through our grief carries us to a place, if we're following the patterns of the psalm, of full and unfettered praise. And in the midst of our loss and our grief, it doesn't always feel like we're going to get there, does it? But this is where, if we follow the biblical pattern, we are taken when we grieve with the Psalms, our grief is fundamentally hopeful. Because in our grief, we have a partner, an advocate in God. And though things sometimes seem dire, in the Psalms of Lament, there is always an anticipation that God will act on our behalf. This is what it means to, to grieve with the Scriptures. You see, when we learn to biblically express our grief and loss to God in prayer, it will inevitably lead us to praise. This is just where it leads. You can't get away from it. So that's the second thing. And finally, our last point for this morning, in our roadmap through our loss and our grief, the third thing we need to do is share it. We need to share it. We need to live compassionately with others out of our place of loss. You know, it's actually only by dealing with our own loss that we are able to share in the loss and grief of others. Pete Scazzaro in his book um, says it this way. In, emo in emotionally healthy churches, people embrace grief as a way of becoming more like God. They understand what a critical component of discipleship grieving our losses is. Why? It is the only pathway to becoming a compassionate person like our Lord Jesus. Back to our teaching text for today. We learn that Jesus was a man of grief and familiar with sorrow. And that familiarity with our grief and our sorrow, that solidarity with us in the midst of our brokenness made Jesus the most loving person that ever walked the face of the earth. Right? I know so many people who have experienced loss in one form or another. And the way they both deal with that loss, part of the way they deal with that loss, and the way that they kind of complete the process of grieving a loss 
is by sharing that, is by living compassionately with other people. And if you are dealing with a loss in your life right now, God wants to use that to make you healthier. But he also wants to use that same loss to make other people healthier. Because in some sense, we are all connected in this thing. And Jesus, in his loss, in his brokenness, in his willingness to come and submit his life to the loss and brokenness of the world, stands with us in solidarity in this very same way, showing us what it means to stand with people. And this morning, I thought, as we conclude, one of the most... One of the most obvious examples of Jesus' willingness to stand with us in the midst of our loss is the table of communion. Jesus not only invites, uh, we are not only invited by Jesus to have him bear our grief and our loss, which he did and continues to do, but we are also invited by Jesus into this holy journey where we experience his love through his willingness to bear our sin, our grief, and our loss on his cross. In his ultimate act of solidarity, Jesus laid down his life for us. And when we come to the table, we come to a God who we can acknowledge has experienced everything that we've experienced who's walked through everything we've walked through, who is no stranger to what we've experienced, and who, because of his death, can identify with what we're experiencing, but also because of his resurrection, can show us the way to life. So Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. When we come to the table, we proclaim the Lord's death and we stand upon his resurrection. You know, there is nothing, nothing that, that can separate us from the love of God. Except for our own desire to be separated from the love of God. Jesus stands willing to communicate his love, his goodness, and his grace to us. And very often, when Christians come to the table of communion, we come to the table of communion as a way of reminding ourselves again and again and again because we are faulty and we forget a lot. You know, I forget a lot of things. I forget to pick up certain things at the grocery store. On the uh, I'm going to the grocery store this afternoon. I promise you I'll forget something. But I also forget about the sacrifice of Jesus. 
I also forget about that from time to time. And we take up these rituals, these patterns, these habits, like communion, like the reading of the Psalms, like, like prayer, as a way of reminding ourselves again of who God is and what he does, has done, and will do for us. It's a beautiful thing. And so in just a moment, we'll come to the table after I pray. I just want to say that at Grace Community, we practice an open communion which means that you don't need to be a member of this church to receive with us. We just ask that if you uh, rise to receive communion, that you follow Jesus with your life. And we know, and we know that God is faithful, that he is with us in our grief, and that he is calling us on a journey that will make us more emotionally and spiritually healthy people. If we allow the Spirit of God to have its work in us, Let's pray, and then we'll come to the table. Father, we love you. And we ask that as we come to the table of communion this morning, you would remind us again of your presence with us, of the grace that you've given us in the Psalms to learn, to lament, and to grieve, and to process. And we pray again afresh this morning that you would help us to remember your sacrifice, but to cling to your resurrection as the sign of our victory in Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this all in your name. Amen and amen and amen. The table's open.